thanks and praise for this day. And we thank you for gathering us here together in this place. We thank you, Lord, for your presence among us through your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for giving your word to us. And we pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to receive and understand it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, I ask you for words to speak, but that my own words and thoughts might be forgotten. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just curious if, if uh, how many of you have seen one of the greatest movies of all times, The Princess Bride? <laughs> Some of you, not all of you. There's a marvelous scene towards the end of the movie where Princess Buttercup, the heroine, is about to be married to Prince Humperdinck, who is not the hero. And they come into the church, and if you can picture this great stone cathedral kind of building, and they come up before the altar, and stepping out front is this magnificent-looking clergyman with the hugest lamb chops you've ever seen. The, you know, the furry... Wearing his coat and a mitre. And he stands there and he looks. All very dignified. Mowage. Mowage with wild wings eyes together. Some years ago when our children were being married and uh, they... I wondered if they, they might invite me, uh, ask me to be a part of it. And not only did they invite me to the wedding, but asked me to, to participate in the service. And I really was tempted <laughs> to wear my coat, a liner, and grow out bushy on the sides. And as they would know if I stood up there and began, Maui, they would just kill themselves laughing. But half the congregation would have no clue. But maybe that's not the best way to, to go about this. And it's interesting, the expectations people have at, at the wedding. I, I was just thinking the other day, how many shows are on television that have something to do with weddings? I mean, I was just kind of going through my head. Um, there's one called Bridezilla. There's one called Say Yes to the Dress. Um, there's one called Married at First Sight. There's one called The Bachelor. The Bachelorette. Bachelor in Paradise. I'm sure there's 95 other bachelors spin up. Bachelor on the Island, I don't know what they're called. And I'm sure there's more of them as well, aren't there? And there's this sense that if I can just find... And, and I've, I've always been, I have to say, I've been horrified. I, I don't know how else to say it. I think cruelest show on TV has to be The Bachelor. You get this man who seems to be the perfect guy, he's got all these things. Of course, you know after about two episodes, he's not. But there's then all these young women, 20, 30, I don't know how many they bring on board, and they're all there because they want to find a husband. And he's there because he wants to find a wife, because of course, if she can just find the right man, and if he can just find the right woman, they'll live happily ever after, and life will be perfect. And so this is this opportunity for them to meet each other. But of course, they're going to be perfect because they went through interviews and they cast well on TV and they look good. And so they put them together in this 
single location and they go on a series of dates and all these kinds of things. And then one by one, they start to get rid of people. And it's fascinating how they meet together and they, they have this connection or not have this connection. But the ones that, that really hurt is when you see they have this connection and then they say, they're not invited to stay, is how they do it. And it's just crushing to the people who are there. I guess it makes good TV, at least for some people. But what's, what's amazing is what it does. You know, these people have invested everything into this moment. And if I can just find the right person, everything will be perfect. And once I find the right person, it's all about the day. It's amazing what people spend on wedding these days. People go into tremendous debt. They spend tens of thousands of dollars to hold the wedding. People delay getting married until they can afford a $10,000 dress and a $10,000 honeymoon and all these kinds of things and a fancy car and a big banquet and on and on. There's another show called Four Weddings where it's almost like a competition to see who has the best wedding. And it's about the ceremony. Who had the nicest ceremony? Who had the best food at the, at the reception? Who had the best dance? And whatever kinds of things. And at the end of the day, the winner out of the four couples gets a, a honeymoon holiday somewhere. So I guess that way you save a few thousand bucks off your, <laughs> your I, I remember couples coming to see me in the parish. And they'd say, what does it take to get married? And my stock answer was 50 bucks and two friends. <laughs> you need 50 bucks because at that time, that's what the government charged for a certificate. And you had to have a certificate from the government. You needed two friends because you have to have witnesses. Who were there to say you really said what you said? All the rest is custom. But people invest so much into that. And they invest so much into the wedding. Sometimes the marriage is pushed off to the side. And people get so invested in this moment, you know, this is just the right guy, he's just so perfect. Or this is just the right woman, I've fallen for her, she's just going to be, you know, I just my, she just has this connection with my heart. Sorry, I don't watch enough of The Bachelor to get into mind. <laughs> But what happens the week after, the week after that, or six months after that? And as I look at the, at the world, it's, it's so sad as, as what happens in people. A, in what their expectation is out of this person. And second of all, their expectation of what marriage is supposed to be. For too many people, they come into marriage thinking, I need to find the right person who will make me happy. Because marriage is about me being happy and being satisfied and fulfilled. And this person is meant to fulfill me and make me happy. And the second thing is so much is invested in that rush, that look across the room, and our eyes lock, and our hearts are as one, and we have had love at first sight. And you float across the room to one another, and you instantly dance. Boy, if only that was true, I would know how to dance. <laughs> but that fluttery feeling inside that you get, it's wonderful, it's incredible, it's chemicals. 
And in time, the chemicals aren't there. And that's when marriage happens. It's what happens afterwards. And this thing that people don't get in their minds, that love isn't a feeling, love is a decision. Love is actions. Love is attitude. But that's not what we're told. I've often said my absolute favorite country music song is by Weird Al Yankovic. He wrote a song, it's going back a long, it's decades ago, called Good Enough For Now. And it's a love song, just like any country love song. You ain't much, baby, but you're good enough for now. I'll stay with you forever, or until something better comes along. And sadly, for a lot of people, that's how their relationships work. Because they're looking for this person to fulfill them, to make them happy, to please them, to make life better. And that's not the reality that, that most of us experience. And the world has, because it has a sense, this kind of sense, then what happens when it isn't that way? What happens when it, you're not happy anymore? What happens when it's not fulfilling? What happens when it's really hard? Or what happens when the person isn't who you thought they were? I mean, we've told, told couples before, don't ever marry someone on the hope that they're going to change and improve because it just goes downhill from here. <laughs> ladies, you know this truth. If you're not married, ladies, I'll tell you a secret. The guy that you're interested in, he's just putting on his best until you say yes. And once he can say, okay, good, I'm done, I can check that off, now I'm going to go on to something else. And then the, the effort starts to decline. We apologize to you, but it's the way we are. <laughs> but you know, this is not new. This is not a 21st century reality. This is something about the human heart. The Pharisees came to Jesus one day, and, and we don't know the lead up, but often when the Pharisees came to Jesus, they're trying to set him up. We're not sure what it is, but Mark says they asked him a question to test him. We don't know why or what the test was or what they were hoping to get out of it, but the gist of it was about divorce. And they came up to Jesus and say, so Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, something we need to understand is it was, it was a common occurrence in the world they lived in. This was something that happened. But there was a debate within the um, various schools, rabbinic schools, about what is the right approach. One approach said the only time divorce is appropriate is if there's adultery that's been in this relationship. So one of the partners has been unfaithful. In that case, the one school of thought says divorce is the right thing to do. Because it is a violation, the marriage was not actually a marriage. Something is wrong at the very core of this. On the other hand was a school that said, no, the law says that a man may write a certificate of dismissal and divorce his wife, and if it can be for any reason, because if he finds any imperfection in her, and he set the standard of imperfection, it got to the point where 
if she forgot to put mayonnaise on the hamburger, by the way, you're supposed to do. <laughs> that could be grounds enough. Or if there's somebody cuter down the street who is available, that's good enough. And so there's these two extremes in the debate. This was a burning issue in Jesus' day. And interestingly, there, there was a forum that, that was filled out by John Doe on this day, dismiss my wife, so-and-so, from this time forward, and you know all the, all the details. He handed her that piece of paper, and it's done. She didn't have the same right, though. The man could divorce the wife. The wife couldn't divorce the man. And so they came to Jesus and said, So, Jesus, is it lawful for a, a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus was very clever. He didn't often get trapped by these things. And he did as he often did. And he asked them a question. Well, what does Moses say? What does the law say? So he's wanting the facts on the table, not get drawn into uh, a good debate. He said, well, Moses said, and it's from Deuteronomy, you can do this. And then Jesus said, you know, <coughs> Moses put that there because of the hardness of your hearts. Because there's something inside humans that closes our hearts to one another. And we can be hard-hearted. And rather than see people stuck in a place where their lives are being destroyed by the hardness of heart and the cruelty and the things that can happen, there's, there's a recognition of evil and brokenness and sin in relationships. And so there was this clause that was put there. But Jesus said that was never the design. The design is different. Jesus quoted from our first scripture passage from Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. See, right from the very beginning, we were designed to be in relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. And so, God had created Adam. And he said, hey, he's no good on his own. That's obvious, isn't it? And it says he brought to Adam every creature that he had made to see which one was the right companion, the right partner, the right helper, the right soulmate. And for some reason, none of them lined up. Not even a monkey. Not a dog. Contrary to the saying, dog is not man's best friend. And Adam named them all. He claimed his, uh, his stewardship over them. But there was no creature that matched. So God puts Adam to sleep, does a little surgery, made Adam out of dirt, made Eve out of Adam. And Adam wakes up and goes, wow! <laughs> this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam and Eve, by the way, Ish and Isha, the names actually fit together. And then it says in Genesis, And so a man meets his father and mother, clings to his wife, and they become one. And Jesus said, From the beginning, God made the male and female. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. So I have a pushback within me when people say, you know, a marriage is two, two equal people, two, a, a partnership of two equal people. It's a, a partnership. And I, no, it's not. I fall short of what marriage is, at least biblical marriage. So God gave us this model and this intention that he designed right into the beginning of creation. From the time humanity has existed on this earth, God has meant for men and women to meet together, to live together as husband and wife. That they are in relationship together. Not one above another. They're complementary. They're different. Every cell in a woman's body is different from every cell in a man's body. It's at the chromosomal level. We're put together different. So we shouldn't be shocked when we do things differently. It's okay. <laughs> despite what everybody wants you to believe, despite what's politically correct, we're different. But we're designed differently. And we're incomplete. As a general rule, we're incomplete without the other. Because that's the way God designed us, to be together. But it isn't merely so that we're happy. Yes, a good relationship brings joy. And any of you who have been married for any length of time have probably had those moments where you've experienced deep joy from one another. And you've also experienced moments where you thought, if I killed them then, I'd be out of jail now. <laughs> it's because the reality of life has its ups and downs. And if the only thing that kept us together was I feel happy today, it wouldn't last very long. Because we all have good days and bad days. We all have days where we're on top and we're filled with God's grace and we're doing well and we have days when we wonder why we're even born and we're a pain in the butt. And if, that, if all that's holding us together is I'm happy today or I'm fulfilled today, that's not enough. And it can rip and pull us apart. But God said there's more than that to this marriage <coughs> said, another piece of that is this is the place where I've designed the family to exist. Because with a father and a mother, a child has the full picture, not a partial picture, of what humanity is. In a, in a well-functioning marriage, children see what love looks like through the hard stuff and through the good stuff. They understand how you disagree, and it doesn't end everything, but that you can come back together what reconciliation looks like. What commitment looks like over decades, over a lifetime. They have security about where they live. There's this, we were looking the other day, when my brother-in-law is visiting and, and found some um, stuff online. Um, what, what is that show called? With Steve Harvey and Little, Little Big Ones? Little Big Shots. Right, so you've, so here's this little girl, and she had to be, I don't know, four, something like that. And then and they, somebody submitted a clip because she refused to say Happy Father's Day to her poppy. She would say Happy Father's Day to her father, 
But she wasn't going to say Happy Father's Day to her poppy, because her poppy was her mother's father, not her father. A very logical child. I like her very much. <laughs> but nobody could convince her that it's okay to say Happy Father's Day to someone because they're a father. She just would not compute. They even brought her on. It was just incredible. But I, as I thought about it, it's so clear because it says something about identity. Who she was, that's my mom, that's my dad. And when children grow up in a place where that isn't the case, it affects their identity. They hunt for it. They need to know it. There's something that's not quite right without it. And so God said, when, when we live out marriage the way it's designed to be, those pieces are there. Marriage is designed to be a blessing to us. It's designed to be strength. It is a gift of God. It is designed to be a committed relationship, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. And this isn't something that I made up or that the church made up. It's the way God designed it to be. From the very beginning of creation. He said, this is the model. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is my gift to you. Because in this place, there's tremendous blessing. There's hope. There's joy. There's strength. When one is down, the other can lift them up. They can commiserate together. They can complain together. But they also can say, no, you're not reading this right. It's not that bad. It's not that good. <laughs> that together there's strength. Together there's joy. Together there's fellowship. Together there's community. That my best friend is not my dog. My best friend is my wife. So that God has given us marriage as a blessing and as a gift. And there's, there's nothing else I could ever teach or say about what marriage is meant to be. And I'm, as I said, I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said. And, underscore it a little deeper, from Hebrews, chapter 1, the opening verses, the writer says, God has spoken to his people through the prophets in various ways at various times, but now he has spoken to us through his Son. The one who is God himself, the very glory of God who is incarnate. In him is a complete revelation the one through whom creation came into being. When Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he wasn't giving a rabbi's opinion. He was speaking as the ultimate revelation of God and as the one who designed it and through whom creation came into being. He was speaking with a bit of authority. This is what it is meant to be. And because is so important and so core, so powerful. What we do with it becomes very significant. And so he challenged the Pharisees and the attitudes that were lying behind that. He said, no. Divorce isn't simply a matter of law. Yes, the truth is, humans are broken. And sometimes things go very wrong. And so Moses put that in there for me. But that's not the way I meant it to be. In uh, 
God says, I hate divorce. It's because of what it does to people, and to children, and to society. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that says God hates divorce. But he doesn't hate divorcees. And that's also important for us to hear. Because the truth of the matter is, marriages sometimes break down. And we can think about what is the right circumstance in which to end a marriage. How does that happen? That's not the point of this time this morning. But the reality is, in this room, in the church, we've had that experience. We know it's true. And sometimes, that was the absolute right thing that had to be done. But the problem with divorce is what it leaves behind. Even if it was the right thing to do, is it? there's a scar. There's ramifications of what happens when a marriage ends. Jesus said when a, a man and a woman are united in marriage, they become one flesh. One of the best pictures I've ever seen of this is, um, there's, a, there's a course, a, I mean, a creative name, it's called the marriage course. It's, it comes out of the same, uh, it comes out of a church in Holy Trinity, Brompton, in, uh, in England. And among the series is, is, is they showed this, this picture. They took two pieces of construction paper. Do you, do you call it construction paper? Yeah. It was like a, I don't know, red and blue, whatever the colors were. And he, he put glue on them and stuck them together. And he said, what happens when you try and pull those apart? And he grabbed them and he, he pulled them apart. And of course, they don't come apart clean. Those two whole sheets were separate. But once you glued them together, when you ripped them apart... It leaves a mess. Each of the papers was left stuck on the other paper and ripped and all those kinds of things. And I thought that's, that's a really good picture of what happens when we, when we take a marriage apart. And some of the things other people could tell, tell me better than I could say of what you go through with that. Because I know it's not an easy decision for someone to reach. And sometimes it takes a long time to get to that place, depending on the situation. And sometimes the cause is infidelity. What do you do when your partner, when your spouse, has, has cheated on you? Even if that means it's okay to divorce, there's the things that are, are behind it because that person has now glued themselves to someone else. See, what, what we don't understand is sex is spiritual. It's more than just bodies. It's two, it's two souls being glued together. God gave sex to us as an incredible gift. It would be a glue that holds marriages together as well as producing family. And if we misuse it, there's consequences. But what happens when our spouse, without, without us, has glued himself to another? Now that's all part of it. And when you rip apart, how do you take souls apart? So that's a piece of it. What does it do to our children? You know, there's, there's the bad situation when they see a marriage isn't good. Our children, children know when, what's going on. They, well, they may not know what's going on, they know something isn't right. And sometimes they blame themselves. Those things become a part of it. Sometimes people 
are left behind in the wake of divorce, feeling guilty, feeling broken, feeling wounded. There's this sin that is there. Even if somebody has hurt you, that there's, there's a sin that's involved. And you have to do something with that. If someone hurts you, there is still a response from you about what you do with that. Will you forgive or not forgive? And sometimes that anger is so huge that it won't, won't leave you. It's always there. I don't know if, if any of you have ever been in that position, but I've sure heard it spoken. I will never forgive my husband for, or my ex-husband for. And when people say that, what they don't realize is when they refuse to forgive, they're hanging on to sin. And sin is caustic, whether it's your sin or not. And if you refuse to forgive, the Bible says it prevents you from receiving forgiveness. And it becomes a burden that you carry around. And unforgiveness turns into bitterness. And it can go down to the root of your soul. And you're never happy. And you're never whole. And you're never healed. And you don't understand. But you know, it's that person's fault. Well, it may be that person's fault. But you don't have to carry around that burden. You don't have to let them have that authority over you anymore. And that's what forgiveness is about. It's not saying what they did was okay. It's being released from it. Or maybe that, that you know or you are the person who did something wrong and you know that. Have you sought forgiveness? Have you forgiven yourself? So there's all these pieces that are part of that. But there's this wonderful news that God loves you. God is the great healer. That the one who designed it all has hope for you. It, it's, it's kind of jarring that the two, um, in our gospel lesson today, are two passages that have been put together. They follow one another in Mark's gospel, but not kind of from the same event, not at the exact same moment. So we turn from Jesus being in the house with the disciples, explaining to them about the consequences of, of divorce and remarriage, and suddenly this disciple's trying to keep the children away from Jesus. Now you have to imagine, Jesus is being mobbed all the time. He never gets two seconds to rest or anything, and all these children are coming at him, and they're trying to protect him, and Jesus is furious with them. He says, I love the kids. He's probably thinking, at least the kids are decent. <laughs> And so he took them up in his arms and he blessed them and then he said something very profound. For to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. And you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you enter as a little child. That doesn't mean if you didn't become a believer till you're an adult, you're not allowed in. That's not what that means. Nor does it mean you have to be childish. In other words, if you throw yourself down in the middle of the aisle, start beating the floor and having a tantrum, we will wonder what is wrong with you. <laughs> we will help you find an appointment with appropriate help. <laughs> but we have to come with a childlike heart. Think about children. What are children like when they come to their father and their mother? 
It's just they know they're loved. They just come in to their parents' presence. They come without guile. Well, some kids have a little bit of stuff, depending on what they've done. But they just come in, don't they? And they have an anticipation. They come simply. They come with openness. They come with expectation. They come with hope. Or at least that's the way it's meant to be. And that's what God says to us, to you. I know you're not perfect. I know you failed. I know you've got stuff going on in your life, but I love you anyways. You're still my child. And I won't turn you away. We might have to have a talk about some things. But my arms are open to you. And so I would say to anyone who is sitting here this morning, where some of the scriptures hit a little too close to home, this is not put in front of you as a judgment. It's put in front of you to show you the picture of what God has meant marriage and family to be. And he's put a picture in front of us of why it's wrong to break it apart. But that if it has come apart, God has not turned you away. And if you are carrying in your heart, in your life, some of those consequences, you don't have to carry them. Come to Jesus and let him deal with them. Are you feeling guilty? You don't have to carry that guilt. And if it's something you just can't leave behind, come and talk. God in his infinite goodness has given us the gift of the sacrament of confession. Where you can come and unburden yourself and hear the words of forgiveness and release. Or lay it down before God when we come to the confession in a few minutes. That confession is so we as a people can lay down our burdens and let God wipe them away so we can come into his presence and receive his grace. You don't need to carry around guilt. You don't need to carry around hurt. You don't need to carry around unforgiveness for someone who's hurt you and injured you. God will give you the ability and the grace to forgive just by saying, I want to be able to, puts you on the path towards releasing that person. And maybe you're carrying around hurt because somebody truly hurt you, hurt you physically, hurt your heart, hurt your relationships, caused you injury. My God is the great healer. And you can bring those before him in all honesty just like carry them in your hand and say, God, this is what's wrong in my heart. Can you heal it? And the answer is yes, I can. Will you let me? Will you let me pour my grace into your life so that I can change you? So I can fill you with my love. And so that in there, you can walk forward and release and in free. Let's take a moment and pray. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to touch us where we are. For those of us, some of us, we've been blessed to be in one marriage our whole life. I just want to give thanks to God. For those of you who have a good marriage, I want to thank you. For those of you who've lived in a marriage that's had some downs as well as some ups, and some struggles, and you've wondered about the wisdom, or you've wondered about what's wrong with this person you're stuck with, you can ask for God's grace, God's healing, God's presence, His life. In our marriages, he fixes them.
those, as I've said, you're carrying stuff, just invite God to show us where we need His touch and to invite Him to come. So let's just pray. Father, we thank You so much that from the very beginning You've created us to have relationship. That marriage is Your idea, not ours. And because it is Your idea, You've given us the directions so that we can know its power and its blessing to us. So Father, thank You for giving us marriage. Thank You for the marriages that Lord, have lasted decades and have been such a blessing. We praise you for your grace that has filled those. And Lord, you know more than we do that we're all imperfect sinners. And our marriages are imperfect. And some, Lord, are in a place of struggle. I pray for your encouragement and hope for people who are living through that now. That you would draw them together and that you bring the healing their marriages need. That they would be those instruments of joy and hope and strength that you intend them to be. And Lord, we pray especially for those who have been through divorce. Lord, bring your healing. Lord, bring a revelation of anything that may need your healing and your touch. If there's anything that's unresolved, that it could be healed. And thank you, Lord, for the restoration that you bring when we fail. All of us come before you, God, this morning, asking for more of you, to know your love, to know your grace, to know your mercy. Draw us into your presence. And Lord, I pray that through the rest of this service, and even after, you would pour out your healing grace, and that people would leave here changed, that they would leave here free, that they would leave here with your joy and your peace and your strength. In Jesus' name.